Hey y'all, welcome back to Gramps Place, where my guests and I discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing in the good old USA. From ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victim, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. I talk with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. In tonight's episode, I have the honor of having Texas Representative Joe Moody as my guest. Joe represents Texas District 78, covering much of northern El Paso County. He has served as Texas House Speaker Pro Tempore, as Vice Chair of the Calendars Committee, and as a member of the Committees on Judiciary and Civil Jurisprudence and Redistricting Committees. Joe grew up in politics and became actively involved in the campaigns at a young age. In 2008, he decided to take on the challenge himself and was elected at age 27, making him the youngest state representative in Texas. Although Joe's legislative work has touched on topics from veterans' issues and mental health to education and equality, Joe's passion has been criminal justice reform. He's devoted particular attention to preventing wrongful convictions, promoting diversion and reintegration, and improving access to justice. Joe has also filled in critical gaps in Texas laws on domestic violence, stalking, human trafficking, and sexual assault. Joe's work has earned him numerous accolades, including awards from the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, the Texas District and County Attorneys Association, the Combined Law Enforcement Associations of Texas, the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, and Equality Texas. He was also named one of Texas Monthly's top 10 legislators after back-to-back -back legislative sessions in 2017 and 2019. Let's meet Joe and hear where he thinks Texas is headed and what directions he thinks Texas should be going. Welcome, Representative Moody, and thank you for joining me here on Gramps Place. Please tell us a little about yourself and uh, your background. Well, I'm from El Paso. Uh, I currently serve uh, in the state house of representatives here in Texas. Uh, I represent District 78, and for for geography purposes, that is the furthest west district in, in Texas. So the the tip of okay. Texas, uh, my boundaries are all New Mexico, which, by the way, is uh, about to open full retail in the cannabis market in the coming months. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that uh, how that plays with different policies here in, in Texas, even though I think that our, our prosecutors locally don't uh, don't prioritize cannabis as, as an offense. It's going to be interesting to see how that the, the interplay between New Mexico retail market and, and, and Texas, uh, you know, and our Texas situation comes up. Anyway, I, I represent out here. I've been been represented for 12 years. Uh, total, um, had a brief hiatus. I was elected in 2008, uh, sent back home in 2010, and then came back in 2012. Uh, so I've kind of been on one of those frontline seats um, that pop up from time to time. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, been continuously back in the legislature since the ses session in 2013, and uh, been fortunate to serve in the Criminal Jurisprudence Committee. I served as chair of that committee in 2017. 
Uh, I've, I've served twice as speaker pro tem under two different speakers as well uh, as a member of the minority party. And so um, try to try to make the most of, of the uh, uh, of the opportunity I'm given. A couple sessions ago, we re re uh, helped cr help create uh, the Criminal Justice Reform Caucus, which is a bipartisan caucus with uh, Representative Jeff Leach from Plano up in North Texas. Uh, has members uh, across the political spectrum, and so I'm really excited about that group of folks and the energy they brought to the 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 issue of criminal justice reform. Uh, uh, one of the founding members uh, in 2019 was then Chairman Dade Phelan, now Speaker Dade Phelan, and so uh, we've got a, a good ally and the Speaker on that front too. So a little bit about my background. I live here. I'm an attorney by trade. Worked as a prosecutor, criminal defense attorney. Uh, I now work as in-house counsel for a financial institution here in town, local community bank. Um, married, uh, will be 10 years coming up here in just a few days, 10 year anniversary coming up. Congratulations. Um, yep, we had two, two boys, seven and five, and just brought home my two week old daughter uh, yesterday. And so we are, if I look sleep deprived, uh, that that is the reason why. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be totally understandable. <laughs> <clears throat> well, being being in the Texas legislature, can be a very demanding job with very little monetary reward. What made you decide to run for office initially and, and what keeps you coming back for more? A <laughs> second question is a much more difficult one. <laughs> 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 when you first when you first run, you got all the idealism in you. I was 27 when I first ran for office and, and yeah, you're gonna, you know, you get you're gonna set the world on fire and and all those things. You know, I I grew up um watching public service in, in my family. My father has been a longtime district judge here in El Paso and still is. Uh, my mother was a public school teacher. And so two very different forms of public service, but but public service, uh, you know, essentially just runs in my family. I grew up kind of in the political circles in El Paso as I came up. And as much as I told people I wasn't going to go into law or politics like my dad did, I, I did both. And he lovingly says that, that I'm the only one of his kids that was dumb enough to 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 do exactly what he did uh, with his career. So um, so I got into you know I got into to, to law school, came back from law school, well, was a prosecutor here locally, and um, yeah, I was like a lot of folks in El Paso at the time, a little bit frustrated uh, that thought we could do better, thought we could have um, you know better representation, um, younger representation, and so uh, not knowing any better. At the age of 27, I decided to run for state representative, and and uh, I was the proverbial uh, dog that, that that caught the truck. And so, it was an exciting exciting first session. Then, like I said before, got got summarily tossed out my second term, and then came back the third time around. But, um, you know, the the thing that keeps me coming back, especially now, is is the issue of criminal justice reform. Um, having gone through that experience of of, of coming in. It, losing, going out, and coming back—you really learn not to take any of this for granted. You have an opportunity, and that opportunity is not defined by me; it's defined by the people that asked me to do this job. Um, so that opportunity presents itself in two-year increments, and 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 you you try to do the most good you can do with that opportunity you're given. And when I think about some of the uh, you know, some of the things that that are left by the wayside when we talk about those who are incarcerated or those who are tied up in the criminal justice system, people that, you know, society by and large, um, you know, thinks of as sometimes less than human, you know, and, and yeah. don't, don't get the attention that they deserve and those issues don't get 
um, you know, these are not the front front page headlines for the most part. And 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 so those are the types of things that keep me coming back because we, you know, people in positions like mine, we get called um, we get called leaders from from time to time, but we're mm -hmm. actually stewards. We are stewards of this system, and so our job is to uh, to do what what we can to to make this system better, and then move on. We're just moving through this. You know, I don't own this position. I just get to do this for a little while, and so I'm gonna try to do the best I can while I'm there. And and folks that get wrapped up in the criminal justice system, I, I want to, and that's everybody. That's victims of crime. That's people that've been accused of crimes. That's people that are uh, in, in in incarcerated. Uh, those are the folks that I've spent the bulk majority of my time focusing on because I feel like uh, many people don't. And I also think that my faith calls me to to, to focus on that issue as well. Yeah. Well, being that you've worked extensively on criminal justice reform and of many types here in Texas from many different angles, uh, and that has been a lot of that's been centered around the whole cannabis legality question. Where do you see Texas now on this issue and where do you think we should be? Uh, I'll answer that in reverse. <laughs> I think okay. we should be much further than we are. Um, you know, the, the, the cannabis system is, is the system, the system around cannabis in Texas is, is remain largely unchanged at the state level. We have experiments going on at the local level that are fantastic, whether it be down in Corpus Christi in Nueces County with the DA Mark Gonzalez, who is a, probably one of the most progressive on these policies you've got in Harris County. We've done things in Dallas and in Bayer and Travis, El Paso to some extent. So you have a lot of experimentation going on around the state, but the state as a whole has has done, has moved very little in terms of concrete policy. We have a very limited medical cannabis program that should be expanded uh, significantly. We did expand it in the last session and that's great and we should commend those people for doing that. We expanded into PTSD, which has been a long time, um, uh, uh, you know, concern that we weren't addressing. Yeah. Um, but, but, but you know this better than anybody else. We got to go further. You know, initially the, the, the compassionate use program was very narrow for intractable epilepsy. We've expanded into PTSD. There are a number of other ailments that we know we can expand into safely and that the research exists for. And I think we need to keep pushing that. Um, we've done very little statewide to, uh, to decriminalize, although we've passed legislation to do that multiple times out of the House with huge bipartisan majority, super majorities, mm -hmm. and just can't get that to the governor's desk. Uh, retail market, you know, I filed the retail market bill for the first time that I've done that last session. Mm -hmm. uh, couldn't get a hearing on the bill. But that's usually how it goes in Texas. You got to kind of ramp up into it. I think we should be a lot further down the road. This isn't an experiment anymore. You know, back when Colorado first did this, I could see some caution. Hey, let's see how this goes. What does this look like? Sure. Uh, and even those folks in Colorado will tell you, we could have done this differently or that differently. But you know, you've done the research. It, multiple states have engaged in this. Big states, small states, rural, metro areas. So the experiment's over. We know what you can do and what you can't do and what works and what doesn't work. So let's put a solution on the table for Texas. And I think that's where we should be. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree with that. Uh, I mean, I know you support medical cannabis uh, and you, you said the retail bill, you mentioned that you, you entered last year. So you, you obviously think that Texas is completely behind the times. Uh, 
Why? What are the biggest holdups here? You know, that, that's the million-dollar question. Well, probably billion-dollar question based on the revenue that we could, we could have. <laughs> yeah. This. Uh, you know, the, 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 the opposition that I've, uh, that I've seen, at least institutionally, it, it's certainly not from the folks outside of the Capitol. The people I talk to in my district and, quite honestly, people, the representatives that talk to their constituents around the state, whether they be Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, whatever, retail cannabis market is something that is a is a popular issue. Medical cannabis, for sure. Yeah. I think in the past, people assumed that this was a, a, a political liability, that I can't possibly dabble in the area of marijuana, or I can't get, you know, um, every story that you saw produced about cannabis reform had a, you know, Cheech and Chong type pictures, very stereotypical nonsense. And I've chastised reporters for doing this because mm -hmm. when you make a joke out of the story, oh, we just, you know, a bunch of stoners and hippies above all that. When you make a joke out of the story, then you take the seriousness away from the situation of someone suffering who could be helped medically through cannabis. Absolutely. You know this better than anybody else. Um, there are tragic stories around this state that we could have helped people. And so I want the seriousness around this. We don't need to, we don't need to make, you know, everybody likes to, I think when, when my bill failed one session, they said, oh, the Moody's bill goes up in smoke. And like, you, I get it. People want to make jokes about this, but this is a serious topic. I want, I want people to, to think about um, those that are incarcerated for, for, you know, in, in the county jails for these types of crimes that are too poor to bond out um, folks that have, ailments that can't get treated um you know those that have convictions from long ago that can't get job interviews they can't do they can't they're essentially living half a life because they've been saddled by a criminal history so that's the seriousness that we need to treat this issue with and i just feel like sometimes we we don't um yeah. but <clears throat> well that's the the biggest reason why the criminal justice side of it, because there's the medical side, there's the adult use aspect, right? But the criminal justice side, why that interests me so much is because what my son's position was, uh, you know, he did things the right way. He followed doctor's orders for years and uh, years he wasn't medicated because they thought he would grow out of it, you know, his, his, his seizures. But uh when he started driving, he was scared he was going to have a seizure behind the wheel, and he, th there was no pattern to him. So he came to me and he said, you know, what do you think? And I said, well, we'll got to get you to another doctor, you know, because he hadn't been to one in several years. We were just kind of watching it, you know. And uh, long and the short of it is the medicines actually made his condition worse. Mm-hmm. The, the, the pharmaceuticals that were supposed to be what controlled his seizures and, and gave him that that peace of mind did exactly the opposite of what they were supposed to. And he went through that for five and a half years before it you know, finally took his life. Uh, and we talked about it, but he didn't. He just simply refused to break the law. At this point in time, he was a 23 year old man. So as his father, I had to I had to be proud of that fact. You know, at the same time, I was frustrated, but I didn't really know if it would work or not either. I didn't know what I know now, what I've learned, unfortunately, since his passing. But, you know, that that criminality is what kept him from trying something that quite possibly could have saved his life. Yeah, and that's something that that 
while I feel like a decriminalization or a civil sanction regime is one of the kind of low rung things we can do, it is huge when it comes to destigmatizing um, usage for those that maybe uh, need to look at at, at different uh, avenues for their health. And so absolutely. The stigma around, uh, although the stigma around cannabis usage is, is, is receding quickly, you still find pockets of it. And the question you had is about resistance. And I feel like the resistance is all based on fears, uh, apprehensions that existed a long time ago uh, mm-hmm. that, aren't, that aren't reality now. And, you know, you well, did, a lot of them weren't even reality in, in, in reality. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, like, They'll come. I mean, I face this kind of stuff. Well, they say, they'll say, uh, well, uh, it's a gateway, right? It's a gateway drug. You're going to be go right into hardcore drug usage after you start smoking a joint or something. Um, okay, that 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 has been disproven. In fact, in states that have gone to a, a medical cannabis regime or a retail cannabis regime, they have seen what what, what has been described as a reverse gateway effect. Mm-hmm. In fact, moving away from hardcore narcotics or in the medical world they're getting away from um, you know s- some of these more more addictive highly addictive uh, prescription pain meds getting into something else and so that you know that doesn't hold true you know I've, I've talked to law enforcement about it they get nervous well we're not gonna be able to search people's vehicle and you know the fact that that's present in the vehicle it always gives us an opportunity to search we, we've alleviated those concerns by the way we've written the bill I, I know search and seizure law pretty well as someone who's both both been both a prosecutor and a criminal defense lawyer. Mm-hmm. And and that's just not true. That's a that's a red herring too. And so I know they talk about youth usage is gonna go up. The what about the kids? And everybody always does those will do that. You know, as a father of now three children, um, you know, you've got to teach your kids responsibility and personal responsibility. It's a challenge that every parent has when it comes to alcohol usage or, or driving you know mm-hmm. that doesn't change mm-hmm. and in, in fact in, in states that have gone to decrim or or, or, or retail or medical um, youth usage has stayed steady it's not in it's yeah. not, it doesn't go wildly off the charts like people say it's going to um, none of the fears and apprehensions that people seem to lay out there and concerns are are, are real mm-hmm. and, and not to say that there aren't challenges that come along with regulating and an, you know a cannabis market but you know it, it's something that i mean shoot we we do it with, with all sorts of other things we can certainly do it with cannabis well i mean yeah if we do it with alcohol i mean that's the prime number one example we always use but it's the perfect example because of the simple fact that alcohol actually does create harm mm-hmm. in a lot of ways cannabis not so much right so why can't we do the same thing sure but uh, we need I think as we get into a retail market, we do need to be cautious about that mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, there's going to always be people out to make a profit. But this is an industry as it emerges that should should also heal some problems it created along the way. The war on drugs created a lot of damage to folks mm-hmm. lives over years. Uh, when we issue licenses, we need to look at what are we doing to make right the wrongs of the past. We have drug laws that have been disproportionately impacting people of color. What are we doing to uh, right that wrong? If this is going to be a, a cash business where people are making money, what are we doing then for those, the, those folks 
to right that wrong? Are we are we prioritizing licensure in that way? Are we uh, are we going to give forgiveness? That, you know, some states have said, well, if you have drug convictions in your past, you can't be working at one of these facilities, or you can't have a license. You know, mm-hmm. you can't continue to imprint those mistakes of the past onto a regulatory regime going forward. And so, you got to be cognizant of all those things because uh, there was a lot of damage in the wake of the drug war. And so we need to, uh, as you emerge from that, uh, make sure that you're trying to proactively address that as, as you come out of it, as you build the structure going forward. Yeah. Pardon this short break for a word from our sponsors. Hey, y'all. Are you enjoying the guests and subjects Gramps is bringing you each week? Did you know Gramps does this all on his own? No production team and no producers. Just Gramps. Please consider making a monthly contribution to help Gramps continue to do what he does in an effort to educate, agitate, and motivate millions to get involved. It is as easy as clicking on the link in the show description that says, support this podcast. It can be as little as 99 cents per month. As always, Gramps thanks you for listening and for your support. Welcome back to Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about all things of public interest. Yeah, that, that pretty much leads into what my next question is, is uh, basically, you know, let's say we, we open the door wide open. Uh, we go full medical adult use here in Texas. Uh we get all the regulations set and everything's everything's going. What, in your opinion, should happen to those who are still serving convictions and better yet, those whose lives have already been decimated by the effects of a previous conviction, regardless of whether they took a plea or were formally convicted by a jury? What, what should we do besides opening up licensing and stuff? Is there anything else we should do further? Yeah, I think I think you need to create a, a path for people to to clear their their criminal history. Yeah. Currently, if you have a conviction, uh, you know, no, you don't have the opportunity to expunge that. You can change that statutorily. Uh, yeah. If you got a deferred adjudication, which a lot of people would get back in the day, it sounded like a good deal, right? Oh, because I can get a non-disclosure. No one's going to know, except for we have like 47 different exceptions to non-disclosure law. <laughs> You need to create some mechanism to to be able to remove that from people's records. And and here's what I've heard is, well, what if they did other things? What if they did other things, uh, and, and we don't want to afford that that uh, to to everybody? It shouldn't just be blanket across the board. Look, there's there's ways that we can construct that. If that's really if that's the detail that people are focused on, and and you want to to restrict that relief for certain people that that were nonviolent offenders, there's ways to do that. That's not, so for people to, people will throw that up as a roadblock. What I would encourage activists like yourself and others, just don't, don't ever give into just roadblocks. All right, let's solve that. Who do you not have this relief? Because the vast majority of people that you and I are thinking of are still going to qualify for that relief. And it'll be a small percentage of people that won't. So I'm happy to have that conversation. Let's think about it. There's nothing wrong with having that policy discussion because at least now you're in the space of discussing it and you're not saying it's a non-starter. So we shouldn't be afraid of having those conversations. Yeah, I've even had 
some people uh, bring up the topic, and I, I think it's a good idea. Uh, see what you think about taking uh, some of the revenue that we we earn from taxing it once we go with some kind of full legal program, and using that revenue is kind of a loan program for those particular people who have been incarcerated for nonviolent, you know, possession, which that we both know is the majority of those crimes are possession, small possessions. So, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's something else that could be put into it, you know, just for this group of people, not necessarily, you know, the big thing everybody hears and says, uh, you know, nobody wants to hear the word reparations. So I'm not talking about reparations per se, but like a loan program, like like the SBA, but just specifically for this group out of this tax revenue. The the space that we have to be creative in terms of revenue that be generated through a retail market is, I mean, the possibilities are endless. I've talked to people on the conservative side of the aisle, like, well, we want property tax relief. I was like, all right, well, we can do that. <laughs> it's like, you can tie it to whatever you want. You want to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tie it to teacher pay raises or the, the Texas, re, you know, the teacher's retirement system, like, well, whatever you think is something that needs to be shored up. I mean, you can tie, I mean, it is a healthy stream of revenue that becomes consistent over the years. Now it takes time to ramp up. Other states' ex- experiences have taught us, but it's a consistent stream of revenue and, and a reliable stream of revenue and, and similar to what we've done with, you know, tobacco revenue or alcohol revenue or whatever you want to, you know, um, lottery revenue we've dedicated it to certain things mm-hmm. now i always caution people it's not the silver bullet it's not going to solve all problems budgetary you know, all budgetary problems in texas but that but it becomes a consistent stream of revenue that's not small that we can tie into something that's important to everybody and so to your point whether it's you know incubator or small business type uh, programs or property tax relief or whatever whatever the policymakers think is valuable to the the state let's get in that space this goes back to what i just said let's get in there then let's talk about it let's not say no tell me what you want tell me what you want out of it and i bet we can construct a system in texas that works well yeah i would agree with that you know so much of uh things not getting done is because of the lack of sitting down and just talking about it these days i think with government especially at the federal level I spent a little time in Washington D.C. recently. It is a, <laughs> it is it's a, a, it's an interesting place. It's a different animal altogether. I can I can assure you. <laughs> I'll take I'll take Austin over D.C. any day. But I will I will too. What other forms of criminal justice uh, are important to you here in Texas? Do what do we need to desperately change? When I think about and talk about criminal justice reform, I think about a system, a system that begins at the the roadside stop, officer interacting with someone, right? I've been an advocate and others have been an advocate for years to take away the ability for officers to arrest for class C offenses. You think about Sandra Bland, who ended up dying by suicide in a county jail after she was brought in on a failure to signal lane change traffic citation, right? That's something that Republicans and Democrats agree on. We don't need, and are there certain class C, again, are there certain class C offenses that we can carve out of that? Yes, let's have that conversation. But we shouldn't be arresting for a vast majority of of traffic offenses that are class C's. So that's what I think, that's like the beginning of the system. 
And I think about the ultimate end of the criminal justice system, which is the death penalty, right? The most, the most powerful thing that a government can do to you is to take your life, right? We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Government taking your life is the most extreme uh, and, and, and powerful use of government uh, force. Uh, I have become an advocate to abolish the, the death penalty. Mm -hmm. So from, from roadside to, to Huntsville, uh, we need reforms. Um, and we need to think very deeply about the way that we have, uh, we create interaction between law enforcement and the government and, and, and the people. Um, and we need to remember that, that we're all just human beings in that process. And, yeah. you know, there's safety and security and all those things that we think about all the time. And, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing you can be, you can, this is the thing that frustrates me about the simplicity of politics today. You can be pro-law enforcement and also be for reforming criminal justice. Absolutely. Be law and order all over the place, but also be smart and efficient with the way you use your resources. I get frustrated when I see millions of dollars being spent on low-level cannabis arrests when people could be out addressing domestic violence or, or, or sexual assault or other things. Mm -hmm. So. We can't we can't allow ourselves to be pulled into these um, these binary things. Well, you either love cops or you hate them. That's not true. You either want law and order or you you know you're you're one of these these crazy criminal justice reform people. That's not true. You, when I talk about criminal justice reform, I talk about right sizing the system. It doesn't mean that thing. I've I've authored legislation to enhance penalties for certain things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we we created a new offense called indecent assault, which was groping. Uh, and what you and I would think of as very offensive, very offensive conduct, and under the law as it was before we changed it, was a Class C offense that wasn't arrestable. And so we moved it into a category that we, we right-sized it. But it also means you take certain things that are here and you move them out of that arena. So it's, yeah. it's, it's reshuffling the deck and prioritizing. That's really what we need to get down to. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. You hear all the people say defund the police and, and whatnot, and it's like, that's not the way to approach it, in my opinion. There, there are things that need to be fixed, yes, and there are ways to go about it, but I, I just don't buy into that whole song and dance. It seems like today's, in today's political environment, if you can't attach a, a catchy hashtag to it, then, then it's not worthy of political discourse. I mean, currently right now in the country, we have people, uh, you know, People essentially legislating via Twitter, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it. And and we gotta be. We need to get back to. Uh, we need to get back to maybe. And this may be my idealism that hasn't been beaten out of me yet. But we need to get back to a point where where we're, we're thoughtful uh, mm -hmm. and sitting down with one another and talking through problems rather than just shouting past one another. That's why you know conversations like this are so important to have. And I'm really grateful that you that you do this um, to sit and kind of discuss things and, and chew on it for a while because these are complicated issues these aren't easy issues to deal with um you know it's easy what's easy in politics is to be in an echo chamber we'll sit around and just all the people that agree with me i'm just going to yell louder and louder and we're all going to agree with one another the most challenging thing to do in politics is sit across the table from one from another person who is diametrically opposed to what you are doing and be asked to come up with a solution when you walk out of the room that's real leadership and so hopefully we can get back to that instead of just uh, shouting past each other. Yeah, I think a lot of that, in my opinion, is 
due to the media and the way they present everything. It's it's one side or the other, mm-hmm. you know, and we got it. We exactly that. I've been saying it for probably 20 years now, because before I got into the, the cannabis research and, and advocacy for cannabis, my big thing was politics as far as researching po- political strategies, the political parties, the governmental systems, not just the United States, but around the world. Uh, for over 40 years, that's what I did in my pastime, both formally and informally, was study politics, economics, government, etc. And I've been saying it for over 20 years, at least, uh, that that this we got to get past this R and the 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 D. We got to get past the colors red and blue. We got to get back to the fact that we're all American citizens and we all want basically the same things. We just have different ideas on how to get there. So let's sit down and talk about it and figure out a mutual way, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, I think politics has become somewhat of a spectator sport or almost like a form of entertainment. And, you know, I was, I, I had one time was going to have hats made that say, that said, uh, make government boring again. Like <laughs> government, government shouldn't be entertaining or, uh, or, or some, it's, this is not the WWE like we don't have entrance music as we come onto the house or although we could do that. I think that'd be, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, it, it's something that should be boring and it, 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 you know, things should just government should be something that chugs along and works along and shouldn't garner a whole bunch of your attention. Your school should yeah. function right. The hospitals and healthcare should function right. We shouldn't be jamming people up for, for, for small, you know, amounts of, we shouldn't be ruining people's lives for small amounts of cannabis. And so, uh, government should be boring. Uh, that's my that's that's my that's my big appeal to everybody. Let's government boring again. Let's just get back to work. Put our heads down and and and, and talk to one another. And so, um, it's uh, I don't know if maybe we're too far gone in this era of kind of vitriolic politics, but I I refuse to give into it, and I, I like to see the positive in all things. So yeah, I do too. You know, and and I welcome. Uh, anybody from from all sides and let's talk about the issues let's get it out here you know great uh, there are many voters here in texas uh myself being one of them uh, there are many that would like to see you aspire to a higher office here in texas maybe uh, what are the chances that we might see that statewide office run someday oh you know it's certainly something that 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 I've given a lot of thought to. I think anybody who works in state politics at you know at the state rep or state senate level will probably give thought to that. Um, I'm I'm no different. Um, you know, I, the, I think it is one of those things you got to weigh. What's the the most good you can do uh, at a given time? And if there's a calling at that level that would permit me to do. Um, you know, a, a significant amount of good for the folks that I think are forgotten in our society, then I certainly would would, would take that um, take that very seriously. Um, you know, right now it's it. I think you know I've announced for re-election in Texas House, and uh, I think that is the place where I have the opportunity to do the most good with the time that I got. Um, but you always, yeah, you know, in, in politics, the those things change, they shift, and they change. All the time. So if that opportunity presents itself and and seems like one where I can do that, do that good for for more folks, then I, I certainly would, would would take that take that leap. Well, that's good to know that it's a 
possibility. We'll keep that in the back of our minds. <laughs> speaking <laughs> speaking of recently announcing you're running for re-election, uh, let our listeners know where they can find your campaign if they want to contact you or, or uh, make a donation, et cetera. Oh, that's uh, that's nice of you to do. Um, I'm actually rebuilding my website right now, um, both on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Moody Moody for El Paso is my handle, and it, that's for F O R Moody for El Paso. Um, so come there for mostly pictures of my children um, and <laughs> political clips from time to time. Um, but, but yes, uh, stop on those. Uh, political contributions. I run online contributions through uh, a clearinghouse called Act Blue. So if you go to Act Blue and search for Joe Moody, House District 78, uh, there's an online uh, donation link there. Okay, great. Uh, is there anything else uh, that that's important here in Texas you think we need to work on that, that we haven't touched on? No, I, I, you know, you really covered a wide range of topics today, and I appreciate the the opportunity to to have this discussion because there's a lot of things going on that. Um, that deserve our time and attention. So, um, you know, I just keep encouraging people to, to get involved and get engaged. Um, yeah. our, gov- our government works better when people are engaged. Uh, and if this is an issue that's important to you, even if it's not, you're listening to this podcast and, and something else is your issue, you care about X, then, then throw your energy into that. Mm-hmm. You know, make, make as much difference as you can in your corner of the world uh, make as much noise as you can in your corner of the world to effectuate the change that you want to uh, that you want to uh, get done. So I just encourage people to get in, involved. It's a, it's a much better system when we're involved. Yeah, that's what I, I tell people all the time that, uh, you know, you want to shout, we the people. Well, the we the people part of the government means you got to let them know how you feel. Mm-hmm. You can't. It's not just about voting or or saying you support someone or don't support someone. It's letting them know actually how you feel. If yeah. you don't let them know, they're they're blind, right? Yeah, and I and I would just uh, in this space of criminal justice reform, the the things move slowly, as you know. Mm-hmm. But I believe the wind is at our back, and these issues are coming to the forefront. You have a speaker of the house now that has laid criminal justice reform as one of the major issues that he would like to continue to address session after session. So don't get disheartened. Uh, I have had more bills fail than pass, and that's just the way this works. Successes are few, failures are usually more common. Um, Mm -hmm. But don't get disheartened by that, because the fact of the matter is, we are having bigger, broader conversations about criminal justice reform than we've ever had in my time in the legislature. When I first started, these type, well, first of all, there'd never be a podcast like this, the bills that touch these topics would never even get hearings, or if they would, they'd get them at the very end of session, just be like, okay, well, let's do you a favor, and we'll have all your guys come and testify. But now, these are these are things that are asked on candidate surveys, governor surveys, lieutenant governor surveys. I mean, we're, these issues are now being pushed to the forefront where voters want to know where do you stand on these issues. That didn't used to be the case. So, yes, this seems slow, but don't get disheartened because the, the all – all things that are worth doing are very difficult uh, difficult to do. The, the, the work is always difficult. So keep after it and, and, and um, stay focused and stay dedicated. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you again for taking time from your busy schedule, especially on a Saturday morning with your, your new baby freshly at home and all of that good stuff uh, <laughs> and joining me here on Gramps Place. 
Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. Gramps Plays, where Gramps and his guests discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing here in the good old USA. From ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victims, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. Gramps talks with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. Be sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts or visit GrampsPlace.net today. And as always, thank you for listening to Gramps Place.